0: Let's pray, and we'll get after this message. God, I thank you for the privilege, I thank you for the, for the opportunity to open up your word. Um, God, I thank you for the power that is living and active within your word, and God, I pray that we'll experience that this morning. God, we come weak, we come needy, we come desperate and dependent. Um, Lord, I, as the preacher, bring as much neediness as anyone in the pew. So Lord, we pray that you would move, that you would grip us, uh, Lord, that you would change our desires, that you would recreate us anew from the inside out, and God, we pray that you would do it through your word in such a way that, that we can't help but give you the glory. Amen. All right, so this morning we're continuing the series called Knowing God, and last week we began by talking about about knowing the God who wants to know you. And we just trace this theme throughout the Bible from the, from the opening pages of the Bible where God creates a garden, where he can walk with his people in the cool of the day because he designed us for a relationship with him. And we saw how sin jacked up that relationship. It created distance. It, it, it in some ways severed our relationship with God. And yet from page three of the Bible, God is working this plan to redeem all humanity. Not just that we might be forgiven, but that we might be reconciled to him. That we might be drawn into a relationship with him. And we trace that theme all through scripture. And then we ended on the second to last page of the Bible. When when we see this scene that's kind of the culmination of all of human history. And God literally shouts now the dwelling of God is with men. Because that was the culmination. That's what everything was angling for. He says, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Again, we talked about knowing the God who wants to know you. This morning, I want to get a little bit more tactical. I want to get a little bit more practical. I want to talk about how we do this. I want to talk about knowing God through his word. And I want to invite you to engage with God personally through his word. I don't want this to be a secondhand experience for you. You know, preaching is great. I love the joy of preaching, but when I think about preaching... I imagine that maybe this is the closest experience that I'm going to have towards pregnancy or being a nursing mom. It's crazy. Okay, Alyssa. But, but here's the deal. This is this, this is this opportunity that I have to take the life of God that is within me and try to impart it to you. Some of you that have no spiritual life at all that I can bring the life of God that is in, in me, and through the preaching of God's word, it can be imparted to you. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's amazing. That's a privilege. But it's not sustainable if that's all you get. At some point, the baby bird's got to learn how to chew for themselves, right? More importantly, I want all of you to know the joy of walking with your God of spending time with your God of discovering anew who He is for yourself amen I want you to be shaped directly by him as we've gone through this series we are our father I've, I've reflected a lot of my family this this week i was I was thinking about the reality that that my kids never knew my dad and yet In a thousand different ways, my dad has shaped my kids. My my dad has shaped my kids because he shaped me, and then I have the privilege of shaping them. Like, when I think about my dad, one of the first things that comes to mind is his work ethic. And for me, there's just, I always feel like I'm like a pale reflection and a shadow of my dad in that respect. Like that man knew how to grind. That man knew how to work. And I'm like, I, I, I've got some of that in me. Other people tell me I'm a hard worker, but I, I feel like I don't live up to it. But I, I look at my kids and I'm like, you know, yes, they got some of that from that German heritage on the other side of the family too. But, but man, if they know how to grind, it's because of what my dad imparted to me. You know, I, I, look at, I look at pictures of, baby pictures of my dad. And I don't just see me, I see Luke. You know, it's, it's this, this triptych thing. We can, we can set him side by side. or Like, like Luke, um, he's, he's not like some sort of out-of-control pack rat. You know, he, he's not like that. Because his mom is like very moderate. Like she's an extremely reasonable person. So at some point along the way, like my son learned that certain things can be thrown away. And like that's okay and life will go on. You know, but, but if you walk into his room and you see certain things on his dresser, on his shelves, like, why in the world is that still there? I'm telling you, that is my dad. And that is my dad continuing to live through me because pack rat runs deep in the Nielsen jeans. It really does. Looking, looking at both of my kids, um, Luke doesn't want to be told that she looks like Luke, but like we all kind of know, right? Um, looking at both of my kids, like, I see my dad's rounded nose. You know, I, I see like the strong Viking brow. I see like the Danish proportions of a head that, that it's, it's a little bit more narrow, a little bit more tall and, and than it is wide. Again, in a thousand different ways, I see how my dad is reflected in my kids. And, and that's beautiful. And that's wonderful. And I'll take what I can get. And yet that is not the same as knowing my dad. And I don't want this illustration to be lost on our church. Some of you guys, like I think of the teenagers right now that are growing up in this church. I think of the smaller children that are growing up in this church. Man, if, if you get a lot of your childhood growing up in the church, then even if you walk away from the faith, there's, there's a good chance that, that many Christian values are going to mark you and are going to shape you and, and they're going to be visible. And, and, and those virtues that are a remnant and a reflection of our God, they're going to be a blessing to everyone around you. But if, if my kids make it out of my home and they're like highly productive members of society, who take initiative for the benefit of others and all these other things that we talk about in our church, and yet they do not know my God. That's like the most miserable outcome that I can imagine. They would get some some remnants and some reflections of my God in them, and yet they would miss the greatest gift that God gave me to impart to my children. Amen? That they would miss the gift, that they would miss the joy of knowing him. I hate that idea. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for any of you. I want you to know my God. For yourselves, I want you to know the joy of walking with him. Amen? And one of the ways that that comes about, one of the ways that we come to know God better is to know God through his word. So this morning, I want to talk about knowing God and experiencing God's word in such a way that, that we experience it as delightful and alive and powerful. Delightful, alive, and powerful. One of the the mega themes of the Psalms and of several other books of the Bible, it's just the absolute delight that people take in God's word. Psalm 1, beginning this this whole song set of scripture, the the things that the ancient Israelites most wanted to sing about when they began their services. Psalm 1 begins, Blessed is the man, Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the way of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. In this psalm, it goes on to talk about the benefits of a life that is soaked and saturated in the word of God talks about all the good things that flow out of it. How it nourishes and strengthens and sustains us. How it anchors us and makes our lives more fruitful. This psalm, I've preached an entire message on it. It's worthy of an entire message. But I just want to zoom in on verse 2. And I want to look at this defining characteristic of the blessed man. Namely, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves and enjoys spending time with his God. He loves reflecting and meditating on God's word. Throughout the Bible, we see this almost obsessive longing to know God through his word and to become like our God by spending time in his word. We read the same in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart. I've memorized it so I can meditate in it. I've I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He goes on, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Think about that. I rejoice great riches. My friends, is that us? Would we rather have the joy of winning the lottery and being like Scrooge Big Duck swimming through all of his gold? Is that the joy that we would rather have? Or would we rather have the joy of knowing God through his word and walking in obedience to this God that we know? We are so deeply Culturally conditioned to believe that we should wear ourselves out pursuing a little bit more wealth because if I can get a little bit more wealth, then I'm going to have a little bit more joy. And if I can get a little bit more joy, then, then maybe it's going to finally tip me over that threshold. And I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to say, I'm happy. Our culture tells us that money is one of the best ways to get to that happiness. But think about the psalmist writing this thing. Do you think he was wealthy by our modern standards? You know, this is probably probably a guy who didn't have a second pair of sandals, and yet he looks at other people in his world who are chasing after wealth, and he's like, "That's just so goofy. What do I need with riches when I have God?" What do I need with chasing after anything to give me joy when I know the joy of walking with my God, of reading his word for this psalmist, of being used by God to write his divine revelation? It's like, this is life. I'm not chasing after something else to find life. He says, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. He continues, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. When the Bible talks about this word meditate, it it means to mutter, to, to reflect, to roll it around in your mind. You know, spinning it around back and forth, trying to understand it, looking at it from every angle, trying to perceive the mind behind the message. God's Word is the thing that He chewed on throughout the day. And I want you to understand that it's a delightful chewing. You know, sometimes when we when we feel challenged or even a little bit inspired to get into God's Word, it becomes this dutiful thing. It's like this checklist, you know? It's, okay, well, I, man, I really want to check the scores on the ESPN app, but... But but I'm a good Christian, so I'm gonna muscle up, and I'm gonna and and I'm gonna spend I'm going I'm gonna read at least a few uh, I'm gonna read a few verses in my Bible before I before I open the app that I really love. Some of us chew on God's word like I chew on shrimp. If you see me chewing on shrimp, you should know that I love you, or at least that I love whoever's hosting the party, because the whole idea, the whole concept of seafood, it is disgusting to me. Like, have you seen these little creatures? It's, it's gross, okay? But if I'm put in that situation where, like, you know, just social standards and propriety and, and, and being a good person demands that I eat some shrimp, I'm going to do it, but I am not going to chew. And I'm going to put it in my mouth. I'm going to swallow it as quick as I can. I'm going to look for something spicy, something, I'm not looking to cleanse the palate. I'm looking to light the palate on fire. I'm going to burn the palate. We're going to get rid of that, and then I'm going to find some lemonade, and I'm going to wash that thing down. Is that how we engage with God's word? Like, I, I should do it. I know I ought to do it. The preacher says I ought to do it, so I'm, I'm going to get a little bit, but, but then I'm going to wash it down with a better app or a better show or a, you know, something else that engages me. I don't think that's what the psalmist had in mind when he talked about meditating on God's word. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think that's what the psalmist had in mind when he talked about chewing on God's word. For this guy, God's word was like a steak. And I know some of you are vegetarian. My wife's a vegetarian, but I, I don't know what. Like tofu, it just doesn't work. <laughs> Juicy prime rib, you know? seasoned and grilled to perfection. If you like it with some moo in it, it's got some moo in it. If you like it, you know, overcooked, well, well, that's fine too. Maybe it doesn't work as well. But, but, but that meat that's still got a little bit of moo in it, it's still a little bit red, and, and you chew it, and, and every time you take a bite, it squeezes a little bit more flavor out of it. And you just want to like roll it around in your mouth and like move it around with your tongue because there's more to be had. I can't swallow yet. This is so good. That's what the psalmist has in mind. Amen? We savor God's word. We, we delight in God's word. He says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Again, I don't know about you, but when I hear a phrase, when I hear this, this vow that the psalmist ends this stanza with, this vow to say, I will not neglect your word, it sounds heavy, it sounds weighty, it sounds solemn, it sounds dutiful. You know, maybe, maybe it dredges up like, like some, some guilt and some shame. Yeah, this is the way I ought to be, but this is not how I am. I think about how, how often I neglect God's word, and it just kind of beats me down. My friends, that is not the tone. That is not the spirit of this passage. For the ancient Israelite who'd been instructed in the law of God, the thought of neglecting God's word, they didn't consider neglecting God's word any more than they considered neglecting breathing or neglecting drinking water or eating that steak. You know, you put the steak in front of them, they go for it. Like, I'm not going to turn away. There's, there's no way that I'm going to chase after Skittles and gummy bears when i got a steak in front of me. God, I, I, I delight in your word. I will not neglect your word. I come to your word as a feast with gratefulness in my heart. They didn't neglect God's word in part because they they just loved the delight of being reminded again of the goodness and the greatness of their God. They also did not neglect God's word because they understood that God's word was the path to life. They they took Moses literally. When when he gets near the end of Deuteronomy, he's preached the law back to God's people again, and he says, my friends, these words are not idle words for you. They're your life. And for the psalmist, he, he just takes that to heart. It's like, yeah, this is life. God's words are the path to life. They're the means by which we hear from and connect to the author of life. But what I want us to wrestle with this morning is that God's word is not just an avenue that leads us to life, but that God's word itself is alive. Some of you have been around the church a little bit longer. Maybe maybe know the Bible a little bit better. Think about John chapter 4. When Jesus comes and meets the woman at the well. There's this kind of banter back and forth. There's lots of background. If I'm not careful, I'm going to preach the message. You're going to have to read it for yourself. But... But as the dialogue develops, he's asked her for water. She's like, oh, there's a cultural disconnect here. Like, you, I don't think you know who you're asking. Like, you, you people don't associate with people like me because you think you're better than us. He's like, no, no, I'm asking you for water. And she's like, I don't know. And he says, here's the deal. If you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. What does he mean by that? I think he means that i would have spoken to you i would have shared the hope of the gospel with you and empowered by the holy spirit working through those words my life would have been imparted to you and by the time we get to the end of that narrative i think that's exactly what jesus does he speaks his word to her and through his living word, she finds new life. It's amazing. It's beautiful. A friend of mine a while back asked me, kind of like, what, what is it with you people? Like, I, I don't understand why. I understand why you read the Bible. Like, it's like the sacred text of the Christian faith. Why do you read it again? Like, like why would you read it a second time? You know, because that's just weird. Surely you got it the first time, you know, you did your duty, you've read it. Why would you read it again? And I think that there's a temptation among us as well to to just look at this book and say it's an old book. It's a dusty old book. What's, What's with the obsession with the dusty old book? The obsession comes because we recognize that that this book, uh, Tattered and Falling Apart, as it is, this, this is not a, just a dusty old book. In the words that it uses to describe itself, th- this book is living and active. That's what we read in the book of Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit joints and marrow think about that soul and spirit this isn't like a distinction to be made these are two synonyms in scripture like it divides things that can't be divided it, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit joints and marrow where do we have any doctors in the room like where does your where does your joint end and your marrow begin i think is like the 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 thing that's that's inside the bone right there isn't a distinction to be made between the joint and the morrow. The, the, mar, the bone is, is, the joint is made of the morrow. And yet the word of God is so sharp, so penetrating, that it digs down and it divides things that can't even be divided. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. To paraphrase another section of Scripture, when when God's word speaks, it lays bare the issues of our heart in ways that no natural or dusty or dead book ever could. Think about those words, living, active, sharp, penetrating. Penetrating. He's saying that when we read God's word, it's not just an intellectual exercise where we examine the text. But rather, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the text itself is the tool that God uses to examine us. To do surgery on our hearts, to display us open, to dig in there, to get inside us and to work out the issues that are jacked up to repair and restore and and renew and to recreate us in his likeness. That's what his living and active word does. It has this supernatural ability to cut us and convict us and hit us at a heart level. And if we yield to God's word, what we're going to find is that it's, it's going to be the tool that he uses to transform us from the inside out. Romans chapter 12, it says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. It's it's God's methodology. It's God's mode of operation to recreate us from the inside out. Like a good friend who knows us well, God, through his word, he calls us out where we need to be called out, and he gently leads us to a life more conformed to his image. To put it another way, God's word is powerful. God's word is living. God's word is active. God's word is powerful. Think about what happens in Scripture when God speaks. Think about the opening page of Scripture. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God says, let there be a world. God speaks, and the entire world, the entire universe, is created out of nothing. Because God has spoken. Or if we could go back to the Psalms, we could think about David talking about the cedars of Lebanon. We don't live there, we don't know it, but if you've seen like this, the sequoias or whatever in, in California, these trees that are so massive that they can hollow them out and you can drive a car through them, that's the cedars of Lebanon. They were an incredible source of, of national pride in that part of the world. They were, they were so strong, they were so majestic, they were so wonderful. But what does David say? He says, the voice of the Lord, it shatters the cedars. The Lord breaks into pieces the cedars of Lebanon. God speaks, and the cedars are shattered. Later in that psalm, he talks about how God speaks and and the oaks, they're twisted and they're mangled and they're they're like stripped down to the wood. Or think about the scene in the garden where Jesus is being arrested. And these hardened Roman soldiers, they come to him to arrest him. And he's like, who are you looking for? And they're like, Jesus of Nazareth. And and Jesus says, I am he. And in this moment, these hardened soldiers, they fall backward. They're knocked down by his very voice. Maybe my favorite scene of God speaking. Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. His friend who is four days dead. His friend who is in the tomb. His friend whose flesh is already beginning to rot. He comes into this, into this funeral gathering where all the people are mourning and he says, let's go out to the tomb. People follow him out there and he's like, roll back the stone. They're like, no, Rabbi, no. No, it's been four days. Our brother is going to reek in there. You do not want to do that. He's like, roll back the stone. They roll back the stone, and then Jesus says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man lives. Let me read it to you. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. That's what happens when God speaks. Dead people are raised to life. Dead people are raised to life. And we need this today. Some of you need this today because in the most absolute sense of the word, you are spiritually dead. You do not know Jesus. You do not worship Jesus. God has not yet yet opened your eyes to see him in his glory. To see his love in the cross of Jesus Christ where God became a man, he died for your sins. To see his grace in the cross of Jesus Christ. That though you and I lived in rebellion, he came for us and he pursued us because he wants to know us. Some of you are in the most objective sense are spiritually dead. And you need God to speak to you in order that you might have life. How does he do that? Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Some of you, completely spiritually dead, you need to have faith. You need to receive it through the word of God spoken to you. But the power of the word of God to raise the the dead to, to new life, it's not just for those who are outside the church. It's for all of us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm tempted to say, I don't know about you, but here's the deal. I do know about you. I know about you that you are like me, that every single day your faith wavers. Amen? Every single day you struggle. Every every single day there's, you know, whether it's commercials that you're watching in between your videos, whether it's billboards that you're driving by, whether it's just the lives of the people that you interact with, every day this world markets to you that you can find life apart from God. You find life in the creation. You find identity in the creation. If you want to figure out your identity, you look inward or you look around at other people. It never tells you, look upward to your God to find your identity, to find your joy, to find your hope, to find your life. And that message and that mantra, it beats against your soul until you begin to believe it. That life can be found somewhere apart from Jesus Christ. Every single day. Throughout the day, every moment of my day, I need I need new faith, I need fresh faith, and how? Where do I get it? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We see uh, we see in in Old Testament stories. I can't remember. Is it is it Elijah or Elisha? I'm saying it's Elijah. I don't know. Where he's discouraged, he's struggling he's 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 looking for the voice of the lord and there's you know there's 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 an earthquake but the voice of god was not in the earthquake and there's all these scenes and then he comes to the place where there is this still small voice of god speaking to him as you come here today you might not need god to shout at you you might just need god to gently whisper To you. But one way or another, you and I, all of us, every single one of us individually, we need to hear God speak. We need to not just understand, but experience the reality that His Word is delightful, that His Word is alive, that His Word is powerful to renew us, to recreate us, to replenish our faith where it is weak and dying. Amen? I want this for you. Again, preaching is a cool gig. It's awesome to be able to declare God's word for you. And that that faith could come to you today through hearing. Through hearing God's word through my voice. What a privilege. But again, it's not sustainable. I said it before, eventually the baby bird needs to learn to chew for themselves. And I don't want that for you as a duty. I don't want that for you as an obligation. I want that for you because that's where there is life. My preaching is like a mashed up worm from a a mother bird's beak compared to what God wants to offer you in an encounter with him through his word. Amen? Some of you guys, you know, you, you, you like Sunday preaching. Some of you guys are like, yeah, Shannon's okay. I come for the community. I got podcast preachers, you know. Like, those Those are my guys. Those are the ladies. These are the books that I read. And, and that's great. Supplement your faith in any way that you possibly can. You know, join the women's group. Join the... Join the Colossians study. Join the Jackie Hill Perry study. But don't let Jackie Hill Perry be a substitute for your personal encounter with the living God. Amen? Practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we live this out? Where do we go from here? Here's the deal. After like 30 years of sharing the gospel and of making disciples, because I'm old, I've been doing this since I was a teenager. I can say that if I can get you into God's word regularly, habitually, joyfully, voluntarily, expectantly, opening up God's word, God's going to change your life. I've, just, I've seen it literally thousands of times over and over and over. Man, if, if I can get these young Christians into God's word, God is going to light a fire under them. He's going to transform them from the inside out. There's going to be some other work to do and we're going to need to come alongside and we're going to all have blind spots and and, and pride and areas that we struggle with and and areas where the people of God come along and, and they're a part of it. But man, if I can just get you into God's word, I am confident that transformation is coming. And if I cannot get you into God's word, I'm going to be really disappointed and crushed eventually. You know, because there's going to be this spark. You're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear somebody else preach it. And it's, going to, it's going to be really exciting. You're going to be, you're going to be like that, that plant um, that, that, that grew up in the soil that was rocky. You know, you sprung up. There was great excitement, but there's no rootedness. When trials and persecution come, you wither. Or you're going to be like that plant that grows up among the weeds and and the anxieties of this life and the temptations of this world, they're going to choke out the word of God that you hear on Sunday and going to make it unfruitful. You, You can't live on one sermon a week. You can't live on a sermon plus three podcasts and even some other book. You live by the very word of God spoken to you. That's what I want. How do we do it? How do we, how do we go about it? Practical next steps. doesn't have to be complicated, but have a plan. You know, figure out. When, when, when we take some time to pray and, and prepare our hearts for communion and close in worship, take some time. You and God, work it out. Figure out what your plan is. doesn't have to be an ambitious plan. You don't have to read through the whole Bible in 90 days or a year or five years or whatever. I, I don't care if it's a chapter a day, and I don't care if it's a few verses a day, but come up with a plan. Start small and, and, and grow that plan over time. Figure out, figure out the time and the place. Um, morning is great. I love starting my day with God's word, and yet I'm not terribly a morning person, you know? Um, some of you guys, you're not morning people. You're night people. You think you might be a midday person. We're, we're trying to figure out what you are. But, but, you know, pick a time. Pick a place. Pick a passage. If you don't know kind of where to start in the Bible... Um, start in the Gospel of John. If you don't know where the Gospel of John is, table of contents, Google, whatever, you'll be able to find it. John, that's all you've got to figure. Um, the first few verses will be a little bit tricky in John, and then it'll get easier. When you finish the book of John, go on to the book of Acts. When you finish the book of Acts, try out Romans, whatever. Um, if you have a different plan, execute your different plan, but figure out what is your plan. And when, when you come to the text, interact with it. We encounter God through his word. Okay, so, so as you come to the text, comes, come with questions, come prayerfully. Talk to God about what you're reading. If you don't understand it, talk to God. Say, God, help me to understand this. This is confusing to me. Don't, don't just give up. But, but if you're reading it and you're struggling to understand it, ask somebody. You know, if, if, you, want to, if you want this plan to, to have legs and to carry on for the future, one of the things you might do is find a teammate. Find somebody else to join in your plan. Maybe it's somebody in your household. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's, maybe it's a roommate or whatever. But somebody say, hey, here's my plan. What's your plan? Let's, let's do this together. Same plan, different plan, whatever. Let's do this together. And maybe you ask that person, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading about, you know, I'm in John 3 now. It's been like three days I've been, I've been going after this thing. And, and Jesus is talking about being born again. And I know that's like a cultural thing. I, I just don't get it. What, what, what is that? I've heard it before. What does that mean? Ask somebody. Ask me. Ask somebody else. Find somebody who's just a little bit further in this journey. If you've got questions, ask them. Dialogue about them. Man, what a beautiful thing if if these are the substance of our conversations. Amen? Have a plan. Find a teammate. Start small, a little bit more over time. Ask questions of God. Ask questions of the test. Ask, Ask questions of one another. Again, if I can teach you, if I can be used by God to encourage you to go straight to Him and learn to delight in His Word, which is alive and powerful among us, I am confident that God is going to begin and going to continue to transform you from the inside out. But at the end of the day, As people who I love, I simply want you to have the joy of knowing our God for yourself. Amen? Let's pray. God, may we be a people of your word. May we be a people who are characterized by your word. May we be a people who know it and love it and delight in it. Uh, God for those who have who have tried and failed, for those who have um, resolved and faltered, God, I pray that um, that you would give the courage, the motivation, the inspiration, the desire to try again, to seek you again, to know you again, to find you again. Um, God for those who are used to spending time in your word who who might be proud of the time you spend spend in your word God I pray that the spirit of God beneath the text would come through and that the knowledge that we gain of your word would never become a source of pride but it would be a source of greater humility because we see in it the gospel we see again your grace God may you just use your word for your glory and and may you use the remainder of our time together to encourage us in that pursuit of you. Amen.